Welcome to Psychedelicast. Hosted by Clinton Cayley, this show is an interview-based podcast focused on offering listeners in-depth information concerning plant medicines, entheogens, and all subjects tangential to psychedelia. Join us in prying open the third eye. Thank you for joining us today, Psychedelicasters. Welcome to episode number five. Today we're going to be speaking with a fascinating gentleman who's led quite a charmed life. Uh, this gentleman's name is Inawa Khan. Inawa Khan uh, reached out to me via Facebook after listening to one of our earlier episodes, and we linked up and did this interview. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Inawa Khan is a Mo'o Kahuna in the Atuyanhuna spiritual tradition, uh, according to him, which dates back to the times of Lemuria. He's also a Reiki maestro, uh, over 25 years practicing in that field, a sacred medicine caretaker, and also a speaker on plant medicines. Um, In addition to all that, he is a Native American ceremonial participant with over 25 years of using plant medicines ceremonially, including peyote, psilocybin mushrooms, ayahuasca, tobacco, and cannabis. He was the president of a chapter of the Oklevueja Native American Church from 2017 to 2019, specializing in facilitation of plants' medicine ceremonies. Inawa Khan's tutelage of learning is derived from numerous Native American elders and Kanaka Mayoli elders uh, spanning the last 30 years. He is the current owner and proprietor of Sushi Pili's Apothecarium and Botanica, which is a business specializing in ceremonial products, jewelry, rattles, prayer fans, and leaf shakers, um, all of which are ceremonial tools used in plant medicine uh, rituals. Beyond his extensive knowledge and experience in the realms of plant medicine ceremony, he's also a storyteller, a screenwriter, and an author currently working on two written projects, uh, both planning to be published uh, this year. One is called Ayahuasca Dieta, Preparing the Body, Mind, and Spirit for Sacred Plant Medicine Ceremonies. He's also currently writing his biography that's going to be entitled uh, Journeys of a Man Called Spirit. I have to agree, Inawa was quite the storyteller. It was a real pleasure to chat with him. I think you guys are genuinely going to enjoy this episode. I'm going to let you know right up front that the audio quality on Inawa's part, unfortunately, although not his fault, just didn't come through um, as crystal clear as we would like. But with that being said, if you're willing to forego a little bit of raspiness, crackly, um, sounding audio on his part, I think you're going to really enjoy this lesson. If I were you, I would just think of it as listening to one of those old AM radio talk show segments of which I generally find very comforting and uh, nostalgic. Beyond that, thank you for joining us today and I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. Are you interested in the medicinal benefits of cannabis but concerned with the legal and professional ramifications of using marijuana? CBD's Apothecary is a one-stop shop for all your CBD needs. People all over the world are turning to CBD to alleviate stress and anxiety, get better sleep, reduce inflammation, relieve pain, and so much more. CBD's Apothecary curates a full line of branded and lab-tested CBD products. Visit www.cbdsapothecary.com to shop our CBD oils, vapes, edibles, topicals, and supplements. CBD's Apothecary is also home to the only CBD-infused nut edible on the planet, CBD's Nuts. 
Our edibles start at just $5 a bag, and we've recently reduced the price of our most popular product, CBD's Drops 1000 mg CBD oil, to only $50. We have specifically priced our products to make CBD affordable and accessible to everyone. Shop now at www.cbdeezapothecary.com. Psychedelicast listeners enjoy 10% off at checkout with promo code CBDMED. That's C-B-D-M-E-D. Thank you, CBD's Apothecary. So guys, a little housekeeping here uh, at the top of the show. Not a whole lot, but first things first, I just want to let you guys know that we are with you um, and we are feeling the effects of this COVID-19 or this coronavirus issue uh, just the same way that you are. You're not alone. And our thoughts, prayers, vibes, uh, positivity goes out to all those, uh, including you, who may be being negatively affected uh, by this pandemic, alleged pandemic, not to be a fear monger, not to spread any further panic. I don't want to speak too much on it because we're already all being so inundated by it. But here at Psychedelicast, we love you. We hope the best for you. And um, I believe this is going to be a turning point for not only America, but the entire human race. I know it's going to be tough, But we are going to get through this together, and at the end of every dark night, there is a very bright morning. So we're looking forward to that bright morning and the changes that are going to come about uh, through this difficult time. Beyond that, guys, um, we are still receiving excellent engagement from people via the Facebook page. Please go follow us there, at Psychedelicast. That's the same handle for Instagram, at Psychedelicast. Um, We post, we try to keep our content fresh and fun and interesting and serious and we want to, you know, we want to run the gamut of the psychedelic culture from the deep psychonaut to the spiritual warrior to uh, the day tripper who likes funny memes. We want to offer a little bit of everything as well as great information, fantastic interviews and, and really cool guests and I think we're doing a good job of that so far. I hope that you guys agree if you really uh, if you really feel that way, if you do agree with me, do me a huge favor. Share the various things that we um, that we produce on social media. Please, please, please subscribe to us on iTunes. Drop us a review there. Uh, follow us on the socials. Get involved in the community. Um, this is going to allow us to further our reach. Spend more time doing shows. Gain better. Gain. I shouldn't say better. Gain. Um, further um, high caliber guests and to offer you the best content possible. So continue to do that. Um, Without further ado, why don't we get into some psychedelic news before the interview? Thanks, guys. In psychedelic news today, we're going to offer you an article from the Forbes website written by Javier Hase, uh, who's a senior contributor. This was actually written today, March 20th, 2020. The article is entitled COVID-19 and Mental Health, How to Get Ketamine-Based Psychedelic Therapy from Home Using an App. Very interesting. Let's see here. 
MindBloom, a U.S.-based mental health and well-being company offering guided psychedelic therapy for anxiety and depression that opened the doors to its upscale center on New York City's emblematic Fifth Avenue less than two weeks ago, is now making fully remote ketamine treatment available to New Yorkers in response to the COVID-19 public health emergency. New clients may experience a virtually administered psychedelic therapy session from the comfort and safety of their own homes without risking exposure to the virus using MindBloom's web app. A quote from MindBloom medical director and psychiatrist Dr. Casey Paleos, As the coronavirus pandemic continues to escalate, conditions for anxiety and depression are worsening for people who now find themselves homebound and socially isolated. Like so many healthcare workers serving those affected by COVID-19, we are working around the clock to respond to overwhelming demand for mental health support. We have the technology, expertise, and training necessary to safely administer remote psychedelic therapy, and we are committed to keeping our treatments affordable and accessible to those who need it now more than ever to end the quote. MindBloom's telemedicine system works in the following way. Sublingual ketamine tablets are prescribed if prudent, following an online consultation with a licensed psychiatric clinician, and then delivered from a pharmacy to clients' doors. Scheduled treatment sessions are then guided virtually over video by a trained clinician and a well-prepped peer monitor who's present for the duration of the experience. MindBloom's web-based application also provides curated audioscapes and personalized psychedelic therapy programs to enhance the at-home experience. In the light of the COVID-19 public health emergency declared by the Trump administration last week, the DEA is now permitting medical providers to prescribe controlled substances such as ketamine through telemedicine. Until now, the Ryan Haight Act of 2009 prohibited the online prescription of controlled substances through telepsychiatry or live interactive video conferencing. The emergency regulatory change, however, allows MindBloom to lift its in-person consultation requirement in order to offer fully virtual, medically supervised psychedelic therapy in the state of New York. Furthermore, states are beginning to lift the requirement that physicians may only practice in the state where they are licensed. This will allow MindBloom and other providers to extend remote treatment to anxiety and depression sufferers in additional states within the next 30 days. Also this week, cannabis telehealth company Healy announced it was making its platform available for COVID-19 consultations for only $39. Very interesting, great read there. That is fascinating. Um, Technology is ramping up and, you know, all of these modalities, the medical aspect of cannabis, the medical aspect of the psychedelic experience are going to follow suit. And I think that that is very exciting and fascinating. Now, let's get into the meat of this interview and speak with Mr. Inawa Khan. I have Inawa. How do you say your name? Say it for me. Okay, it's it's a kind of a name, a play on names. It's Inawa Khan. Inawa Khan. Wakan are spirit helpers. Inawa Khan means like in the flow of the spirit. Okay. So that's hence, hence my name, Inawa Khan. Okay, great. I was curious about that. I was thinking it had some sort of a, a deeper meaning. Like I was, 
I was yeah. pretty sure that wasn't your actual given name, but I, you know, I just wanted to, yeah. So, yeah. how are you doing today, bud? Yeah, I'm doing good. Doing good. good. It's uh, about 80 degrees outside. I'm out playing with the plants, you know, doing, doing a little hands-on with the cow manure and, and uh, searching for seeds on certain plants and then coming in here and taking a break from the... A little bit of a heat spike we got right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah everything's pretty good here. I'm down here in the southern U.S. Uh, in in Texas and Houston, so it's uh it's a pretty steamy day today over here as well. But it's a nice day still. Yeah. Well, welcome to the show. So we're gonna talk about several different things today. You've already kind of touched on one of the things I wanna focus on, which is your skills as a botanist and your skills with various different plants. Um, before we get into that, why don't you just kind of uh, tell us a little bit, a little bit about who you are and how you came to become Inawakan, and just kind of give us a background on your uh, on yourself. Okay, well, you know when I look back, when I look back on it now, you know from a spiritual sense, I can see that everything I even was doing as a kid was gearing me up to becoming who I am now. And uh, when I was 15 years old, I went to a young life camp in uh, South Carolina, and the last thing my dad said to me you know, when we were saying our goodbyes, he said to me, he's like, don't get hurt because you're not on your mom's insurance yet. She just got the new job, and my dad, at this time, my dad was starting to get really sick and couldn't work. Mm-hmm. So, of course, the first day at camp, what do I do? I break my kneecap, split, mm-hmm. split it wide open. So I'm, I'm off to the emergency room, yep. you know, still hearing my dad in the back of my head, my dad say, don't hurt yourself. <laughs> you know, don't sure. hurt yourself. So... Here I am in the hospital, um, you know, already starting to get medicated and starting to get a little little delirious, you know, and uh, in the midst of the surgery, I had um, a vision of having um, an S put on my knees to remind me of my uh, my family's sins. And when I woke up after the surgery, I noticed uh, on my leg was what looked like an S or a Z of an S-shaped scar. Okay. So that pushed me to like I was at a Christian camp. I'm a born again Christian now. That's that, that's my that's my mindset. Um, that lasted you know a little while, and then it started fading away. And my 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 uh, analytical mind started saying, okay, the figure that spoke to you was the doctor. It, you know, he was joking around with some other other doctor saying, hey, his his scar is going to look like somebody. You know, it's going to look like a. Uh, it's going to look like an S, and you know he went to a, he went to a Christian camp. So my mind starts thinking of all these different different ways to like get myself away from searching for the spirituality. Sure. Um, went to college, you know, studied uh, botany, horticulture, zoology, herpetology. You know, things that I was interested in as a kid. You know, reptiles, Indians, and plants, and you know, tropical jungle was my you know was my dream. I always wanted to go to the jungle. Um, my father had set it up to where I had a reptile room in the back of the house. I had like a bird aviary towards the middle of the house and a greenhouse in the front of the house. So okay. being the youngest of four kids and the only boy, I was the last one in the house. So I got, you know, I got a lot of my, uh, my own way with certain things. And, you know, if I wanted reptiles or plants, that's what happened. So, you know, I'm, I'm learning and, you know, about this stuff at the same time, my father is going through immense sickness. He had a uh, Diabetes, multiple sclerosis, pancreatitis, and lung cancer. He worked in a chemical factory when he was younger, and you know that had a lot to do with it. But as my, my story progresses, I learned that you know there was members of my family on my dad's side of the family. Like my dad died at 52, my grandfather was 45, my great grandfather was like 48. Mm-hmm. Um, they all had died early from different from different cancers and sicknesses. 
Um, so from about the age of, you know, 15 to 20, you know, I went through college and did that whole thing and, you know, beer drinking and women, that's where that was the goal, you know, sure. that's, that's where my mindset was. Um, afterwards, you know, I kind of, you know, started, uh, when I was a business, so I, I became a chimney sweep, you know, black top hat and all. So I was gearing up for some kind of magical rendition that I wasn't ready yet, but the top hat was here, you know? Yeah. And uh, we called it Old World Chimney Sweeps. That was, um, you know, I, I had already started smoking pot in college, you know, and the, the gun was, you know, I just started to understand that. When uh, I had a, an employee give me a triple hit of LSD after work one day. What year was this? Um, we were playing Risk, and all of a sudden, everything started to move on me. You know, things, my Risk pieces are turning into little army men, and they're jumping off the table. One of the guys had one of these synthetic things that you press and make noises. So I'm, I'm seeing light come through the window, but I'm hearing gunshots. So I'm hitting the floor, right? Yeah, yeah. One of the other guys picks up my top hat, puts it on, and then walks across the living room like a chicken. So I'm like, okay. Something's up. I'm completely, this is it. You know? what, what year was so, this, uh, this experience that you're explaining? This what? was about 1990. Oh, okay. <laughs> this was about 1990, and it was after that particular journey that, you know, because it was like black and white at first, and then it turned into Technicolor, and like my dog came into the journey with me. But it basically led me to be look at, to look at my life and be like, wow, I got a fiancé, I live in a condo, and I own a business that I know is not good for my health that it deals with creosote. So, you know, when I want, but I really like tripping on this LSD we had the other day, you know? So my mind, you know, I'm like, okay, my, I want to try this again. My friends are like, maybe you should try mushrooms this time. Uh -huh. So I was like, okay, well, that was it. Uh, it's like the LSD led me to the mushrooms. And then once the mushrooms came in, I started having visions of, uh, a Native American elder that I know now who had met Thomas Binyanka at the Hopi Reservation was coming to me in my dreams, calling me the Hikwa Hamasa, which uh, means medicine feather in the Hopi language. And I'm like, why am I being called this name? Why is this elder calling me here? Um, I was having, you know, I continued, I continued, you know, with the mushrooms and the visions, and now I'm seeing a teepee on a cliff with the jungles on the side of it, ocean over here with an island that looks like it's mirroring itself with snow peaks on the, the top. And it's just, it's just blue on blue, an island that's reflecting itself in the ocean in this teepee. And I can hear the songs in the teepee, and I can see these technicolored uh, crazy peyote patterns coming out of the teepee, uh -huh. right? And I'm seeing these ripples coming off the teepee. This is all of my visions that I'm having. So, you know, and then, and then here it is, it's this big peyote button, and now the, the, the grandfather peyote button is calling me Dohiqua Hamasa. It is calling me. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay. You know, so I tell my fiance about this, you know, and she's like, so you're telling me that you're having the mushrooms, or you're giving you visions of peyote buttons that are calling you by an Indian name and telling you that you need to go see this other Indian to learn about the Hopi prophecy mm -hmm. before you can come to peyote. And she goes, it sounds like, she goes, you sound crazy. Yeah. I'm like, you know, from that mentality, looking at it, no, I mean, I probably did sound crazy. I was here, I wanted to walk away from a business and just wanted to go on the road looking for this. Sure. Looking for this magical cactus. Let me ask you before we you get know? in, let me, before we move forward into the, into the peyote aspect of the story, um, prior, so you, it seems to me that your early psychedelic experiences already have this highly spiritual bent 
Um, did were you previously a, a, a spiritual type person, or did it kind of open that up right off the bat for you, or were you predisposed to like s- seeing the world in these kind of mystical terms before your LSD and mushroom experiences? Does that make, um, does that question make sense? You know, the only the only religious feelings that I've had prior to the whole LSD experience was Catholic. Uh-huh. You know, but when I was younger, uh, you know, my dad kind of pushed. We got we kind of pushed away from the Catholic Church, and there was nothing. Um, you know, I, younger in the younger days, I was joining Young Life, which was a non-denominational Christian group, and we'd get together and do skits and, and read the Bible and stuff, but that was it. Okay. And it wasn't fulfilling. Something was not, you know, it sure. just wasn't fulfilling for me. But So obviously three hits of LSD, depending on the, you know, depending on where you got it and whatnot, generally that would be considered a pr- pretty heavy dose for most people. Do you have any idea of the uh, dose of your mush- yeah. your early mushroom experiences? Just because I want to see if like, because your, your, early psychedelic experiences seem to be colored in a spiritual sense. I'm, I'm just interested to see if there's a correlation between if you were taking higher doses or how that kind of, of played well, into it. With, with mushrooms, you know, I had no idea. So all, all I know is that when, when they were going around, I reached in and grabbed a, hit, you know, a handful of the mushrooms that were in the container. Okay. You know, and the guy that had them was just like, take a small handful. Okay. So, so that's probably whatever I, I mean, That's probably ground. That's probably about a dose that you would consider like a up near a heroic dose. That's probably like three to five grams, roughly, something like that. Yeah, um, that's, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Like like that, said, I'm know, just we, we weren't we weren't weighing it out, so I have no idea. I'm not gonna be one of those guys. that took a 24 pack last night. I walked away. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm just curious for my own uh, my own curiosity in that aspect. So continue with your story as you are uh, called to this uh, peyote medicine. Okay. So you know, I I, I walked away. Basically, my Within a week, my truck engine blows, and I have no desire to get it fixed. I have no desire to continue the business. My fiance is like, so you want to give away our, our way of life and what we're building to chase this pipe dream, you know, that you had on while you were what, drugged out on mushrooms. Yeah. And I'm just like, you know, so that weekend, she made it easy for me. I came home, and she was gone. No letter, no nothing. So I'm like, okay, she's gone. That makes it that much easier for me. You know, so, uh, you know, my, 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 my dad had already passed away at 20 years, when I was 20 years old. Um, yeah, as I said, he died, he died in my arms in the living room. Um, so it, 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 that, that kind of freed me from, like, wanting to be around him and take care of him to actually going out and going on this spiritual journey in, in, in search of myself. Sure. So I'm in, I'm in Amarillo, Texas. You know, another dream comes to me, uh, vision dream. We're in this teepee around this fire, and this lady in white is sitting across from me, and she starts singing this song. And every tone that's coming off of her singing this song is becoming these beads in their different colors. And then the energy of the song that she's singing is like a snake, and it comes in like a thread and starts going up these beads. And there's this big feather hanging in over a fire, right? So the beads are doing this peyote stitch where the snake is turning into the thread and then winding the beads up this feather. Oh, wow. Right? And I see this whole song that comes out of her all of a sudden is now beaded on this feather. So, you know, there there was another one, you know, the medicine feather thing is coming, you know, like seeing the vision and the peyote buttons. So from there, I went to Sedona. And in Sedona, that's when Thomas Bignaga came to me again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I realized, okay, 
pulled out the map, you know, because we didn't have fancy phones and stuff like this back in the 90s. Uh -huh. um, this was right around the time, right now we're about 95. This was the time that Jerry Garcia had died. Okay. So a bunch of the hippies, you know, they usually travel. Like we, we were all, we all traveled with the Grateful Dead and sold our artwork, uh -huh. you know. So, and you know, did mushrooms most of the time. And if I didn't get in the concert, I didn't care because I was in the parking lot having a good time with friends. Sure. Um, so we're in Sedona now. Um, this friend that we had met had mentioned about wintering over in Hawaii because a lot of hippies on the West Coast go to Hawaii for the, you know, for the winter time. Uh -huh. So I was like, okay, so it's like a migration. Well. What I knew I needed to do first was go find Thomas Bignoga. So I pulled out the map and we, we found O'Reilly and I'm like, okay, let's go. That's, this looks like a good spot, you know? So following instincts, we ride into O'Reilly. We, uh, it's nighttime, you know, we don't have a, uh, you know, signs to say, you know, guy that can't do in your dream right here, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I have no right. idea. So I saw the, uh, the Hobie um, council building. So we pulled up and there was a couple cars in the parking lot. It's already sunset, it's dark. Uh, there were cleaning ladies inside, and one of them came out, and I asked her if uh, she knew where Thomas Bidyanka lived. She points out, she goes, right there is the post office. If you follow the post office all the way out to the horizon, the Hogan you see on the horizon, that's Thomas Bidyanka's house. And I was like, you're kidding me. It's right, literally, like, I can see it from here. Like, I just would get, so we're, you know, I'm kind of like in a euphoric state. It's like, oh, my God, we found the guy, but not even, like, you know, train. Yeah. So we went back out just out of the city limits and pulled over by some rocks and just picked the table out there. And I got out the spare tire so the girls could sleep in the van and I was going to sleep outside. Woke up in the morning and headed back in town. Well, we get back into town, pull up, and there's this Indian guy sitting there with a white tank top on and sunglasses and a fly swatter sitting at a picnic table swatting flies. And he, and he goes, I said, uh, looking for Thomas Bianca. And he goes, well, I don't know this man, do you? And, I, and he pulls down his glasses and it says, what took you so long? Oh. Right? <laughs> so I was like, okay. The girls are like, what? You know, like, this is crazy. Yeah. So he explains the Hopi prophecy of where we are right now with like flirting with our heads in the clouds, literally, because he even used terms like the day will come when humans will have their heads in the clouds. And, and he's got a wooden samurai sword. And we're like, what's the wooden samurai sword for? And he goes, it's display the beast that took away the virgins and the water and the food and our way of life. You know, this little kid, you know, nine or ten years old. I'm like, whoa. And the girls are like, where's your friends? And he goes, oh, they're too busy playing Nintendo and wearing Nikes. Wow. And he goes, two bluebirds told me, he goes, two bluebirds told me you were coming. And I'm like, really? Huh. And he goes, yeah. And then we, he takes us out to the, over to the Prophecy Rock and explains it to us and how we're at a spot where we're at right now where you can stay in the garden or go the route of the city, which has an ending. And if you stay in the garden, that kind of, that, that story keeps on going. Sure. You know, and it is where we're at. It's where we're at right now with ourselves, like trying to stay in the garden and use these instruments that we're using, the telephone, the TV, the computer, using them as our shamanic tools. So, okay, so we leave Hobie Reservation, and now I'm like, you know, I got to find this peyote. And, and I ended up going to Hawaii with my friends. We made ginger reviews. In, uh, in Arizona, sold them at Planet Weavers in Hollywood, or not Hollywood, uh, San Francisco, to get our plane ticket to get over there. So now we're in Hawaii, and, you know, it's it just the magic. I mean, you know, it, it just happened to be the time of year that mushrooms were growing. Uh -huh. So we were able to go out in the fields and pick them. I've never, these were paniolas, um, the paniolas variety in Hawaii that we had. And, you know, it's just, that started another journey. Like, it just, it led me right into, Going to this place called Rainbow Park, 
getting invited over to a sweat lodge. The sweat lodge released something in me, you know, and then I'm getting right after that. I go to a, a with some kahunas, and we go to a spot where we're doing a blessing on this this uh, stella. It's called, and it's a, a a sacred stone that's put into place to mark something. So they were they were trying to recreate the king's highway around the island, mm -hmm. and it, it just means like buying residential homes, and rich people's homes on the way to redo this. this. Is what they wanted to do. And they said by the time this road got around the island, the um, Hawaiians would have their sovereignty back. So I was guided doing Kauai Pialani's prayer to get on my knees and kind of come down like a big bird and just kind of bless the stone. And she goes, are you familiar with the the, the prophecy of the return of the bird tribe? And I was like, okay, this, here we go again. You're, we're, on a, we're on our journey. This is another one of those many folds, you know. So she told me that I needed to meet this man named Kingfisher. So she said he's a road man. He's here with the Native American Church, and he leads peyote ceremonies. So now I'm now I'm like on cloud nine. I'm like, wow, she just said peyote. And this is like why you're still on. Mention. This is why you're still What's on that. The, you're, this is why this is ha taking place while you're still on the island in Hawaii, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're, 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 this is and this was like within two weeks of being on the island. Yeah. You know, it was that fast. That's very. We were staying in a place called Rainbow Park where a lot of hippies and deadheads would come in. And set up camp, and, and then go out in the island and still have a camping space where they were, you know, they were, they were protected. Mm -hmm. um, so now I'm uh, living at this my friend's treehouse. He's a trust fund hippie, renting out one of Marlon Brando Marlon Brando's houses in the Whalo side of uh, on Maui in the jungle side, and he lets me live in his treehouse. So I'm in the treehouse, not even not even a full day, and I'm starting to feel sick, like you know, because the sweat lodge or whatever what happened, but something was. I, my equilibrium wasn't right. Mm -hmm. um, my friend Charlos told me he was, it was raining too much and that he was going to go to the desert side of the island of Kihei to meet this girl that he met. So I said, okay, I'm going to stay here and just kind of chill. Mm -hmm. So this went on for two to three weeks, this intense sickness. I, it was raining so hard and mosquitoes were terrible. I, I just thought I would have died. There was, no, there was no phone. There was no neighbors to call. I probably couldn't. I could probably scream at the top of my lungs and none of my neighbors would even hear me. Okay. You know, we were like that secluded way down by the ocean. So um, about three weeks into this, you know, I, I, I remember remembering Kwai Pialani telling me that Kingfisher is going to be at Camp Kenai on Thanksgiving. And that's when I should meet him. So, you know, all, by this time, all I want to do is be able to, you know, sleep and relax and not feel nauseous. Friend Sarah Luna stops in on her way down to Kenai, and uh, she had just been back from a Reiki seminar and learned Reiki and, she didn't. She realized that I was wasn't feeling good, and she uh, was doing Reiki on me. Mm -hmm. That night, I slept really good, and woke up, and it was like it's like the fever was broken. Everything everything was better. Wow. And I'm like, wow. So we we hitchhiked down to Camp Canine. You know, it's he she uh, she told me that you know because we we were we were hippies. We didn't have any money. We were just traveling. We had our backpacks pretty much. That was it. We hitchhiked everywhere we went on the islands. Mm -hmm. So we hitchhiked down to a Camp Canine and volunteer to you know work in the kitchen to do dishes for our cost of our ticket for the weekend of festivals and talks and stuff that were going on so we're in the kitchen and i noticed a pot of mushrooms on the stove and uh the guy with the spoon he's like well you know these are these are for kingfisher when he gets here he likes to drink mushrooms and communicate with nature and talk to the elements before he you know barks on peyote ceremonies and stuff and this is always a, a good day for that so you know, in walks, in walks this little short Indian guy with long hair, could have been a Hawaiian guy. 
had a whole head shirt, your shorts flip flops, and uh, first thing on his mind mouth is how's it, how's it, yeah. you know. And um, we were realizing that's Kingfisher, so all of us go out the porch, you know, to partake in the mushrooms and share the mushrooms around. And after a couple hours, you know, he's see him over here, you know, looking at my backpack, and I'm like, uh, he's you know singing, singing his songs, and he goes, I noticed in your backpack you got a a book there by uh, Carlos Castaneda. In one of his first books, it looks like he goes, you want to learn something about peyote that Don Juan didn't teach Carlos Castaneda? Come to our TP ceremony next weekend. Oh, so okay. now I have an invite from the roadman leading the ceremony, the Cheyenne roadman, Kingfisher. Oh, wow. So now I'm like, okay, wow. You know, the, the, the journey started over here. The visions came. I followed my visions. Here I am. I'm meeting these people. You know, I'm still not sure what the Return of the Bird tribe is. Uh, you know, so... Go down to where the TV meeting is and stuff, and um, it's night. You know, it's it's sunset. The the, 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 uh, the fire is going to the inside. People are coming in with their blankets and their medicine boxes and different things. And they're all going in there. Um, me and a couple of my buddies, Attila and Joshua, are sitting out. There's a smaller fire, and I look inside, and I'm just like, ah, I can't do hallucinogenic sitting around a fire in a TP with people I don't know. I can't do this. So I stayed outside. Let the fear get in. Yeah. So while we're outside, you know, I'm thinking about those visions that I had about the TP and seeing the seeing the things and thinking to myself, wow, I just passed up an experience to go in there. I just passed this up. I can't believe I just passed this up. Kingfisher comes out in the morning with a wooden bowl, the big wooden spoon, this like brown greenish mush. And this was the uh, the dried powdered re reconstituted peyote medicine. Uh huh. And he he says, well, he says. We said, how much do we eat? He goes, eat as much as you want. He goes, let the spirits just ask the spirits. He's like, but usually it's in fours. So we took four big wooden spoonfuls of the medicine, lots of the medicine. And uh, I look back now and I was like, we took, took lots of the medicine our first time. Took yeah. A lot of the medicine. Well, I would say that first dose was between 75 and 100 buttons. And when I say buttons, I'm talking about the average size of about a quarter. Oh, wow. Um, and so, but I mean, who's to say it's this powder that could have been bigger, it could have been smaller? Sure. Um, like I said, there again, you know, we don't know the exact dosage because we're just taking spoonfuls. Um, so I lay down and I start seeing the TP, uh, like, leave like a vibration coming off of it. And I start seeing these songs turn into colors and going on the top of the TP. And I'm like, this is exactly the vision. This is it. This is, I'm supposed to be right here. Um, so the next week, you know, like, you know, you were kind of like riding that peyote high, and like afterwards, it's like four days. That medicine's with you like four days, and you feel on top of the world. You know, we go down to the body surf in McKenna and Little Beach, and just like perfect wave one after another, just you know, living on top of the world. And we we really we were at the point where we really felt like we were gods. Yeah. You know, I just there was no worries in the world. Everything was provided for us. We didn't have to worry about mortgages, house payments, rent, work, none of that stuff. Right. So. We're, we're talking and we're like, well, a way to get, you know, around these ceremonies on the island is to do the things that other people don't like. My friend Attila was really good at this. He's from Hungary. And uh, he was teaching me some of my first peyote songs. And I learned my first peyote songs with a slight Hungarian accent, you know, because he was Hungarian. So he sang a little different. So he was teaching us the songs. And at that point, you know, a rattle was like a piece of driftwood with a pill, with a, with a, uh, with a, uh, 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 small jar, a plastic pill jar with some rice or some beans or something in it. That was our first rattle, you know? Uh -huh. um, so we 
we we just we discovered that we chop the wood. If you chop the wood and clear the teepee site, you're going to get a spot in the teepee. You're going to get closer to what's going on. So we started being the ones that would chop the wood. Uh-huh. So it takes two to three days to chop the wood. The sponsor that's having the ceremony puts you up, so they're paying for your food and for you to have a place to put your head, your, your blanket roll or whatever, a tent space. Um, so we did that, and then this ceremony came around, and this time we went in. So this is my first time in the TP ceremony. Kingfisher leading the ceremony, and there's there's a fireman that sits over by the door, and there's a doorman on the other side, on the east side, that's directly across the fire. There's a half moon altar, and then the roadman sits in front of that with his drummer on his right and his cedar man on his left. So there are other people that sit around the rest of the TP there. Mm-hmm. So. I eat you know, more of the medicine, but this time the medicine goes around four times throughout the night. And each 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 time we're guided to eat as much as we can each round. Mm-hmm. So I try I'm trying four spoonfuls every round. You know, I'm trying to really get to in there as much as I can and get all this healing taken care of. Uh-huh. And I knew that I was supposed to be here. So there's a time in the ceremony when I'm I mean it's working me, man. I'm sweating, I'm, I'm my fears coming in. Oh my God, I'm gonna die. I'm thinking to myself, what the hell the heck am I doing here? Why am I doing this? I went out of here. Oh my God, I just I never do this again. So then I start feeling like the movie Alien. I start I start feeling like something under my shirt's moving. I mean, even where I like peeked under my shirt, I felt like I could see something moving. Yeah. <laughs> well, all of a sudden, everybody on the other side of the TV disappears. And my father's standing there, and then he's bent over, and he's like having a pancreatitis attack like he had a lot when I was the last five years, you know, of, of his life. And uh, he looks at me, and he goes, you got the vibration in you right now with this medicine in this sacred ceremony to heal yourself of all the dragons and demons that killed me and all of our ancestors throughout time that haunt us in our DNA. You got to, right now, you can heal that. And he's like, wow. you just need to ask. So I did. I asked for that. And then I purged. And when I purged, it came up all uh, red and black, right? And each one of my tears that were coming out and landing in this, I could hear the cedar man as he's putting the cedar on the fire. And I feel I feel the cedar smoke kind of warp in over me. He says, every prayer, every every tear that you shed is a thousand prayers. Wow. And I remember him saying that as I'm watching my, my tears go down and hit that red and black purge, like the sacred geometry that was coming out of it. You know, it was just, yeah. and I'm seeing these songs that are being sung and I'm seeing the patterns go across the fire. And then all of a sudden my father, all of a sudden he's healthy. And he goes, you're on the right, you're on the right path, son. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And then I can see him, my grandfather, and all my grandparents, and my grandmothers from way back. And then they all kind of just vanished and everybody else around the TV showed up. Yeah. You know, and that's an amazing tale from just from where we started 15, 20 minutes ago to now. I have to say that's a very uh, magical and affirming and kind of uh, charmed life you've led that's, that, that the path has been so seemingly so uh, like, I guess because you've been open to following it, you know, that your path is seemingly stretched out like that in front of you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and that all happened that all happened in the first uh the first month of being on the islands. Wow, <laughs> wow. I was on the islands for five years nonstop. Um you know, and it, just going to school it seemed like. You know, I went to uh 
I went to Kauai for a weekend to do a ceremony, and I ended up staying for a year and a half. Wow. Never went back to Maui for a year and a half because I was over there chopping wood for ceremonies. Sure. You know, doing ceremonies, and at the same time, well, on 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 Maui or, or on Kauai, that's when I kind of I felt a dimensional shift because there's people on that island that consider themselves Kanaka to the Maoli. They don't call themselves Hawaiians. So they're like Hawaii never came here. Mm-hmm. You know, this is this is Atui. If you look at the old maps of uh, of Captain Cook, they call the island of Kauai Atui, mm-hmm. right? Well, there's no there's no T in the in the Hawaiian language. That's an old Kanaka word, and it refers to an ancient mountaintop of a land that went underwater. And they, and they say that Kauai is the tip of that ancient Lemurian land. And oh, okay. she, they tell the stories of how when the flood came, everybody had left the islands. The healers were the indigos, the blue people. Mm-hmm. And she said that the, the blue people went inside of all the other tribes and became the healers of all those tribes. So they went out and they pollinated the rest of the world. And now this day and age, when the, when the like, if you drop a pebble in a prayer, like the teepee would be like a prayer, you, you plant a seed. And you're planting a seed in a plane that's bringing these ripples out, right? So it's like you're dropping stones in water, you're watching the ripples go out, but then there's a time that comes when the ripples start coming back. Mm-hmm. Well, this time on Kauai, these ceremonies, we're seeing this, and then she's telling us these stories of how the blue people went inside of all the other tribes that started coming back. And now in this day and age, people that are starting to wake up and started in the 60s, these waves started coming through of what they call indigo children. Mm-hmm. And they started in the 60s and then started speeding up. These, these, these beings are coming back, and they are the healers of the old days. So they're saying that that's a prophecy of the return of the indigos, return of the bird tribes, hmm. right? So all of us that feel that we're part of that, we're starting to wake up. You yeah. know, the old timers, one, one of the old ladies in Hawaii, she goes, you flew in on a big silver bird, didn't you? Yeah. And then we started laughing because we're like, yeah, we did. Let, let me know? ask you this. Let, d- tell me if this sounds familiar to you because uh, a lady I just did a podcast with uh, a couple days ago was telling me, she, she briefly alluded to it and she was kind of like, well, this is a really big thing, so we can discuss it in more detail later. But she was talking about the Eagle Condor prophecy. Does that ring a bell to you? Eagle Condor? Well, interesting that you say this because we're, we're in a time right now, you know, with, with, with what came up with 2012, okay, you know, Hollywood spun that it's the end of the world thing, you know, to kind of put a negative light on the Hopi and the Aztec prophecies and from in, in the Maya prophecies of what's happening from 2012 coming into now. Um, but we're definitely going through a, uh, a shift change to where, um, you know, we have in the, in the north we have the eagle, and then in the south we have the condor, the condor in the vulture family, and then in the center ground we have the quetzal, right? The Quetzal is like, one's, one's like your soul, one's like your head, and one's like your heart, mm-hmm. you know? So these three, but the, the, uh, the, the condor and the eagle that come together, that's the kind we're in right now. We're coming from the teachings from South America. There was times when I was doing a peyote ceremony in Michigan, the peyote told me how rare it was, and it told me that I needed to learn from its cousin from the South, okay? At that time, I thought, okay, it's San Pedro. Well, I started having dreams about San Pedro and this this uh, hallucinogenic snuff called Wilka, and it like ended up guiding me towards ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. So 
you have the, that energy coming out of the jungle, right? And I had just uh, met this man named here in Maramanca. Maramanca is like, it means the flight of the condor. And he's from South America. He's Chilean in, in descent. He's coming here to Tampa to run ceremonies for us in May. Oh, wow. Um, so it's kind of like, I'm excited because he, he's, you know, bringing condor medicine. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So it's like, for me, it's, it's helping fulfill prophecies that I know about, things that I've lived through, things the elders told me years ago that I needed to learn. So, you know, it's that's what started happening with, you know, learning with these medicines down south. And now it's like, you know, you have the peyote, which is grandfather, then you, and San Pedro's got a very grandfather feel too, but then you got ayahuasca, which is grandmother. Mm-hmm. You know, and sure. one is becoming extremely rare. I mean, peyote, can you drink really quick? Yeah, go ahead. Um, Peyote, it's peyote is a, a bit of concern as far as well because it's very slow growing. It's been over harvested. Is that what you're talking about now? Is with the the rarity of it? Yeah, it's even even within the Native American Church. And when I say Native American Church, um, try not to assimilate it with the Oklavea Native American Church. They're two completely different churches. Uh-huh. Um, the Native American Church is strictly peyote. You have to be at least an eighth Native American registered with the tribe to even legally be able to do peyote. Okay. Um, the Oklahoma Native American Church claims, you know, all these different things. But, you know, it's, with me, I'm, uh, I'm not a, I'm, I am a member of Oklahoma because I was a president of a chapter of a church for a year and a year and a half down here. We were doing ayahuasca ceremony. The Native American Church says I'm not a, um, a card-carrying member of a tribe. I'm not legally a member of the Native American Church. Okay. But I still do Native American Church peyote ceremonies because these fireplaces, um, they move around. There's different fireplaces. There's there's men that run the ceremonies. It's it's a crossfire. It's this way. There's a half moon. It's this way. There's the Arapaho fireplace, and it's this way. Each one is a rite, a different ceremony that's led around the peyote. Okay. The half moon that I'm familiar with, you're basically your prayer. You're planting a seed. That's what that is. I've um, uh, I've sat I've sat in peyote ceremony one time recently, and it was a half moon c- ceremony um, here in well here in Texas, and. Uh, so that's the only one I'm familiar with, but I was under, I've been under the impression that there are multiple different styles or traditions of uh, peyote ceremony. So that was something I was going to ask you about uh, later on in the episode, but that's good that you're touching on it now. Yeah, they, like I said, the half moon is what is, I consider my, myself, you know, I became an adult in there. I learned how to be a man. I learned how to be who I am. I learned how to take my healing work with you know, with Reiki and crystals and different things and use this these medicine ways because the, the medicine heightens your vibration. Mm-hmm. And with the peyote, the peyote started heightening my vibration to where I can see the energy coming off my fingers when I when I would concentrate with with my with the Reiki energy. And, mm-hmm. and so that's how, you know, it's I started having these different dreams with that too. So I created what's called Chokopa Shamanic Reiki. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit of like the Western Reiki because it came through Hawaii from Japan. And, but like everything else, it kind of gets watered down as it starts going through, you know, our time frame yeah. in the United States. Things start getting watered down and we start losing different things. And next thing you know, it's it's got to be this way. And it's, you know, they try to schedule it out like like on weekends and this and that. And it kind of gets all blurry. Um, I, I try to hold what I do in my healing work within these plant medicines and stuff um, 
you know, in a real sacred way. Sure. And uh, when I was getting there with the, when I was talking about the Hanapeli ceremonies, planting a seed, getting back to the seed itself, when I was, when I was in ceremonies up north, you know, I'm hearing all these People are talking about how the, the fluff of the peyote has strychnine that makes you, it makes you throw up. Well, it doesn't. That's that's something that was always told, and it just kind of started ringing. People started, you know, they hear this myth, and all of a sudden they're speaking the myth so much it becomes reality. Well, there's no arsenic in peyote. Sure. And I tried to show the, my native friend the fluff that you're taking off the peyote has the seeds in it. And when they're harvesting it, it down in Star County and Hog County down in southern Texas, when they're harvesting the peyote buttons for the Native American church, they're not taking those seeds out and re, and re you know, sending them to, you know, on the ground. So I started showing a lot of these different church chapters that I was setting up in. I started showing them how to harvest those seeds. Mm-hmm. And now it's it was, what's nice that I myself have not have a nice collection, but I've also spurred others into growing their own. Sure. They grow some. I you think know, that's let's, get, let's keep this going. And now it's actually saved say you probably got more in private collections around the world than you do in the wild. I was going to say, I think that's a beautiful thing about it is there's almost a, there's like an underground kind of uh, fan club for Lafafara williamsii, which is the, the peyote cactus. And I, I want to say, I believe it's Thailand or Vietnam. They are like crazy about growing it. Um, and I don't even, I don't, I'm not I've sure. Seen a couple, I've seen a couple of the collections there. I don't think they use, I don't think they grow it for actual ceremonial use. I think they grow it just strictly on aesthetic and like, because it takes so long to grow, it's kind of like a rite of passage of growing it well. So that I, that's pretty cool and interesting. Yeah. Um, let me ask you, yeah. let me, let me guide the the, the conversation in a, in a slightly different aspect. Um, because now we're kind of talking about you, the bot, the botanical aspect of your work. So I want to yeah. I want to transition into a, a discussion about. Uh, tell me how to say this word because I've I've said it in my head, but I, I'm not sure if it's right. Zushipili. Zushipili. Can you tell me about Zushipili's Apothecarium and Botanica? Can we talk about that for a minute? Okay. Well, um, I've always been drawn to. The uh, Aztec god Zushipili, um, he's the flower prince, uh, the god of flowers, dance, hummingbirds, butterflies, bees. Um, when when I was younger, I, w- I was I was walking across a hogan, and Thomas Bianca told me not to fear the rattlesnakes. I feared the rattlesnakes, and they all started biting me. When I woke up, I had. Um, 14 mosquito bites on my left leg that were done up in like seven different rattlesnake bites. Wow. That had turned into a staph infection, and I ended up going into my next teepee ceremony, because this was between the last ceremony that I told you about, this was the next one. And in that ceremony, I got that healed. So now I have uh, peyote buttons and mushroom caps tattooed on top of these bite marks. Well. I'm looking at that, and somebody had mentioned to me, oh, that kind of reminds me of Zushipili. And I'm like, Zushipili? They're like, yeah, he's an Aztec deity, a lord of dance, butterflies, hummingbirds, ceremony. You know, he's got a rattle in one hand and a shaker in another hand. And he's got tattoos all over his body of all these different ethnobotany, you know, botanical plants. So I started, okay, that's interesting. Well, I found a medallion that I wear, uh, my ceremonial necklace that I usually wear in ceremonies. Um, uh I mean, the ayahuasca ceremony, I have this on, and all of a sudden it turns lime green. And it 
three dimensions, like, like a projector shoots out like a four foot Zushapini man, right? Mm -hmm. Like the statue came alive and he's dancing around the ceremony. Wow. And he guides me to get up and dance with him, right? So I just have this strong connection. And, you know, the word, the word apothecary, everybody thinks an apothecary is a place where medicines are kept. The apothecary is the person that keeps the medicine in the pharmacy. So I came up with this word that doesn't exist, but it does now, called apothecarium. Uh -huh. And in my world, it's Zushapili's Apothecarium in Botanica. We make our own uh, essential oils. We make our own Florida water used for ceremony by collecting our own plants. I grow extremely rare flowers. Um, right now, my ayahuasca vine is in full flower the second year in a row now, which is not a common thing here in Florida. Um, or, it's, or it's a flower. Last year, I was only able to find uh, a handful of seeds, which I got five from. But no, so I put I put all these uh, flowers in my concoctions. You know, um, my mom would always call me her her witch doctor because uh -huh. she cause she would always you know see me playing with potions and this and that and bringing plants in and getting extracts from them or whatever. Um, but I I got a Florida water that I actually create that actually has essence of peyote flowers, ayahuasca flowers chacruna flowers um and different things like that so wow that sounds like a I'm very uh, sounds like a very potent uh ritual aid there um for our listeners who may not be familiar before you continue with your thought could you explain briefly however briefly what agua florida is and what it's used for generally okay well what i do is i i ferment my own alcohol base using florida sugar cane water in florida spring water um and then I infuse, I gather different flowers from around the garden and put them in this, in this brew that I made. And then I add different essential oils to this brew from, you know, lemons and limes and different things, um, jasmine flowers, you know, I mean, on the label of what I sell, it has everything. Everything is in it because there's everything, mm -hmm. literally. Um, but it's used in ceremony um, to bring in the, the beauty of spirits. Um, it's... It's a flower essence that smells very fragrant, and I, I run uh, the alcohol when I make it over certain crystals, so it infuses the elements of these crystals. Then I also put labradorite, tiger's eye, garnet, and amethyst in each bottle. So when you shake up each bottle, you're not only agitating the oils and stuff together, but you're also infusing th these magical, you know, crystals that are in there. You're putting in their, you know, their magical property into the elixir itself. So when you're in a ceremony and you're spraying that, you're putting that out. So what I'm trying to do is create an elixir like this that can be used in sacred ceremony for protection. Because when you do sacred ceremonies, you're opening yourself up to all kinds of things. And it's, you know, that's where I, I get at with telling people it's always good to have a set in a setting and intention. Sure. When you're getting in when you're getting into stuff, because you got you have to be able to know why you're doing it. Because if you know why you're doing it, you're going to have a much deeper, a deeper experience. So I try to create these things to help you have that deeper experience. Mm -hmm. You know, I make I make these shakapa shakers out of leaves from like Thai plants in my garden. You know, but it creates a certain vibration. But you can spray your liquid on here and then douse and go over somebody with that energy. And you're bringing if they're having a bad trip or a bad journey, I can bring them back. Sure. You and know you what know, I mean? Like I've I've learned how to do that with over the years with you know, watching friends have, you know, bad journeys. Sure. And that's, that's, I can kind of relate to that uh, aspect. During my uh, recent ayahuasca experiences, the shaman was using his agua florida 
And what he was doing was putting it into his mouth and swishing it and then blowing it out like in a plume. Um, and was it, was it in a little plastic container? I, was it in a plastic container or kind of yellow? I'm not really sure. I didn't really see it because by the time I was aware that he was even using it, it was completely dark and I couldn't really make it out. Um, and I didn't think to, to look later um, because I had never even encountered that before in my life. You know, that was my first ayahuasca sitting, but I, it, it was kind of an annoyance to me almost, but, um, I spoke to this about another lady who I had on the podcast and she kind of explained to me similarly to what you're explaining right now is that it was an, it was, uh, I was con looking at it as sort of an annoyance because it was very strong, sweet, cloying smell. And it was, it was, uh, almost breaking my train of thought. And she was like, that's what it's for. It's for, it's to bring you back when you're getting too far out. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that kind of makes sense. It, it, to me, it was just like a very strong, cloying smell. And I was like, oh, like, I don't, I don't know. That's, that's kind of agitating me. Check, check this out. Okay, this, this is another reason why I created, you know, the set that I'm working with. Okay, 200 years ago, there's a company called Murray and Landman. Murray and Landman are two Jewish men from New York City. Murray and Landman want to participate in the, the Paris cologne business. So they needed to come up with something that they could, in Spain and France, where they could communicate, where they could get a little piece of the pie, right? Uh -huh. So they go down to South America and they create this Florida water company in Peru. Back then, they're making it right. They're doing it the way they're supposed to do. Well, now, 200 years later, it's synthetic. Okay. It's made with SD alcohol 39, I think it is, which is the same as rubbing alcohol. Yeah. It shouldn't be on your skin. All the scents that are in that stuff are, are synthetic. First time that got sprayed on me in ceremony, I was like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. What you just, it's like being wide open and somebody sprays you with, with a petrochemical. Yeah, it's like, it's like, just like a all pesto. My, all my little, everything in my body just kind of like, wow, Jesus. Like, I need a bath now. Yeah. What the heck? It's kind of well, like getting blasted with like a pest, yeah. with like a pesticide almost, you know, like, and maybe that's, yeah. maybe well, that's what it was. Maybe that's that what Florida it was. water is all synthetic. So I'm thinking, okay, you're going into a ceremony, a very sacred ceremony where you're opening up. Why would this person who calls themselves a shaman or a healer use this synthetic spray? Well, or this synthetic cologne? It's because 200 years of using it, they've infused it into their into their way of doing things, uh -huh. right? But what happened is it didn't stay pure to what it was originally what it originally was. Now their intention for using it is there, but it's like to me it smelled like bug killer. Yeah, I, you know it was like it was like it was like I just got misted by a bug killer. So I created my own Florida water, which is very subtle, mm -hmm. and it hits you on the different levels. It doesn't hit you like a ton of bricks, and like all of a sudden you have to come back in your body because you just got dosed in in, in chemicals, you know. Sure. But that's why I created this. Um, that's awesome. And I, I, you know, now looking at that, I'm not positive that that's the product they were using, but that is kind of the way that it struck me is like, I thought, okay, this is an interesting aspect of ritual, but this seems out of place somehow, but I couldn't quite figure it out. And that kind of makes sense. Um, I, I, I try to encourage all people that are in the place where they are facilitators for ceremony to make their own or to get it from somebody that loves to make it. Yeah, or because then you're using 
then you're using something in ceremony that was made for ceremony. Sure. So that's you why know, they that's, need to. That's why, I, that's why they need that? to. I said that's why they need to get it from you. They need to get it from Sushi Pilly's um, uh, Apothecary <laughs> in Botanica. Since, since December, I mean, I've, I've been selling selling it like crazy. And if I can figure out the legalities of customs, I got people in Australia, Denmark, UK, and the Netherlands that are waiting for orders right now that I don't think I'm going to be able to send them because I, I can't sit in the United States to our post office. I can only send one bottle at a time and it's got to go through ground. Wow. And there's yeah. people that are, there's people that are doing ceremonies that want 10 to 20 bottles at a time. Sure. So I'm like, I got to figure out, you know, I got to use UPS or, or one of those companies now because the post office is like, nope, yeah. we're not doing it. <laughs> I bought, uh, I bought a bottle of Agua Florida from a, private from a small business uh prior to me knowing that you guys were uh around so i'll check out as soon as i'm done with this bottle i'll check you out um next and what you're saying is making a lot of sense to me right now because that agua florida which is homemade with care and love and intention for ceremony is much more calming and much more grounding and much more uh much less irritating Cause I use it in my own, yeah. I use it in my own personal ceremonies just for kind of cleansing and protection. Yeah. Um, when I, when I go, when I use psilocybin and things like that, um, and there's a marked difference between the experience with that, uh, Agua Florida and the one that I experienced in Peru, which was very agitating is the best way I can describe it. Yeah. <laughs> very much so. Yeah. Well, that's great. Um, so maybe, um, there's a couple different things I want to get to with you. Um, what do you consider yourself at this point? Or would you consider yourself a shaman, a roadman, a medicine man, a botanist? Where do you fall? In? Well, do you do you do you need you know, a, do I need to name you? Or? I'm, one those, I'm one of those people that I that I can wear many masks, as, as to say. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's like I consider myself a sorcerer, and that makes sense. Like I work with source, mm-hmm. so. I can put on a botanist mask, a horticulture mask, a curandar mask. I can play the part and, and transmute the energy that I need for that moment. Sure. Um, so I try not to eat, say I'm a shaman, but in my, what I would, I would consider myself a mo'o kahuna. And kahuna are, are basically shamans, the Kanaka Nivaolis, or the Hawaiians even, but not so much the Hawaiians, it's even more, more ancient than them. But a mo'o kahuna is... Like I'm from like the dragon clan or the or the lizard clan that they turned into, and what that particular group of healers, what we're able to do, is go inside of people and help them remove all the muck around their jewel that they are, the seed of who they are. We help people clear that muck and purge that, and then polish that, and then bring that out, and then walk that path. Like bring your inner jewel out, becoming who you are, and then walking that path. So that's that's what I try to do with people and and you know trying to try to bring all of their their subtle energy bodies together and showing people how the sickness is started on another level, which is usually the soul and the spirit level, and then we feel it in the physical body because we're not paying attention on other levels. Sure. So with these medicines, I'm able to see things like that. Are you? And usually, what's that? I'm sorry. Uh, are you facilitating uh, these medicines for others? Are you facilitating pe- peyote ceremonies? Um, tell me about that. What is your work like in the aspect well, of delivering medicine? Right. Okay. My, one of my first uh, Native American teachers, Kingfisher, Cheyenne, he was a Cheyenne Atanawa. 
And Hatanawa is a Cheyenne word, like basically a sorcerer. Um, his own people call him one of the other ones. They were just a, a different breed. Um, you know, and I had learned a lot about this medicine, um, you know, from him. And one of the things, he came to me in a dream, and he told me, he goes, you need to do mushroom ceremonies. He goes, peyote is rare, only for healing, and that's it. You know, like really focused ceremony, you know, ayahuasca becoming more and more rare because of being over-harvested, right? So you have these two medicines right now that are working, you know, they're, they're doing a lot of healing work on this planet right now, and ayahuasca is moving fast. It's being cut down at an alarming rate. Yes, it'll grow back because they don't remove the roots, but it, it takes so, so many years to get to a certain point. Sure. You know, like I've had mine growing now. It's five years. It's, it's just about harvest size in my own yard. Right. And I'm really excited about that because it grows up over my house. So I sleep at, I have a canopy in a place where my work area is outside underneath this huge ayahuasca vine. Oh, that's awesome. So, you know, but so when I'm, when I'm being guided to, like I do ayahuasca ceremonies and I do peyote ceremonies, but I'm being guided to get to first start out with cacao ceremonies, which is the sacred chocolate mm-hmm. and using it in a sacred way at least an hour prior to leading into a, um, like a tamal ceremony, a mushroom ceremony. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I start out with a cacao and take it as the heart opens with the cacao right into the mushroom ceremony. And I find with the mushroom ceremony is they're not in danger. You know, they can be, they can be manifested in two months. Sure. You know what I mean? And, yeah. you know, there's, they, they grow wild, you know, the spores are everywhere, you know, it's certain times of year. So, I'm being guided on that path, but I I still get called to peyote ceremonies, mm-hmm. and um, I, I will make the travel to go. Um, every time I go into a peyote ceremony, I'm always, in my mind, I'm always like, this could be the last time. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, it, make this ceremony your best. And there's, you know, I, I don't slap when I'm in the ceremony, I'm always working. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm always doing healing work or helping with, you know, fire or something, drumming in the ceremony or something. Uh-huh. But, um, Right now, it's mostly the cacao and the mushrooms. Okay. Um, like I said, I do know aspects of the others, and, and I do San Pedro's too, because San Pedro is another another cactus that grows very fast compared to the peyote. Sure. And uh, but the the peyote and the ayahuasca, like I said, there's right now it seems like everybody's what the lead ayahuasca ceremonies, and there seems to be an influx of what I call shaman fever. Yeah. And it's you know. It's, Everybody has their path. Not everybody's wrong or right or blah, blah, blah. But when I hear people only after doing the medicine a couple of times, now all of a sudden they want to facilitate ceremonies so their friends can see the colors. But, yeah. I, you know, it just it started getting to me. I'm like, wait a minute, you're missing Keith. You want to hurry up. You got like the Darth Vader mentality. Yeah. It's like you want to be a Jedi, but, you know, you want to, you know, so it's like, they jump the gun, and what they're doing is they're losing the power of the one-on-one with the teacher through the stories. Sure. Because every time somebody that's been in certain sense, like if I, these stories that I'm telling, if somebody can ride through one of these stories, they can feel the healing energy coming off of it. It may be able to help them. Yeah. Be able to, it, it may guide them to a plant medicine ceremony. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's you know, where I'm trying to get at with a lot of these youngsters. I'm like, take the time to like grow in this. Sure. Take the time to create. You know, I had, I had a friend who was growing pot in California, medicinal marijuana, selling it on the black market, making a fortune, and then buying 
all of this ceremonial stuff. He'd buy his eagle fans and all this kind of stuff. So when he came around, he had all these great toys that looked really pretty. But I'm like, man, you didn't earn those. Like, yeah. <laughs> you didn't, like, find the hawk fan or find the hawk. You didn't, like, you know, go out and search that gourd or that piece of wood. You bought, you, you paid somebody else to do it. Sure. The magic is doing it yourself. Yeah. And, you know, I think that, uh, you know, some of these medicines are almost what I would consider self-correcting in that aspect, especially ayahuasca, because just from my limited experience with it, it's such a, it can be such a stern, serious medicine that I, I, I would be concerned for anyone not paying it, it, it its due diligence and respect because it will, you know, I feel like it's a medicine that absolutely demands respect. And if you're not, if you don't come in a respectful manner, you're, you're going to learn that respect, you know, one way or another. The, the, el- the elders in the peyote ceremony told us that they said that peyote medicine can be as gentle as a baby or as harsh as your lack of respect. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing it disrespectful, you're never going to do it again. Yeah, that's a good way to <laughs> say know? it. And ayahuasca is like that too. But what people don't realize is that you know when when somebody's purging the ayahuasca ceremony, they're they're purging from a you know it could be they could be purging from a DNA level all the way you know all the way up through their mental capacity. So wherever they're purging from, if the person that's you know facilitating the ceremony, he needs to know the song that can pull them out of that. Yeah. He needs to have certain tools in his arsenal, and if he's just got a, a jar of, you know, Agua Florida from a factory, that's that to me. That's a that's a hand and eye game, like like magic. Yeah, it's like you know what I'm going to do this with my hands, and you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna be you're gonna talk about it later because it's really cool. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. I don't like that. I don't like the fruit fruit la la that, that comes in with some of these ceremonies, like like ayahuasca shaman with the lights and all this kind of stuff. It's like. The fire or a candle are okay with me. Yeah. You know, it's preferably the fire. Yeah. And I prefer to sit on the earth, you know, instead of in the floor of a house. But, you know, this, these medicines are moving the way they're moving. Yeah. You know, if if it's your calling to go sit up with the young shaman who's not even 40 years old yet, who's sat up in three ceremonies that's getting the calling to do it, you, you can go sit up with him or you can search out somebody else. But what I'm finding out is that there's a lot of people coming from South America that don't even have the teachings. Yeah. And because they look the part, they can wear the colorful things and play the part too. Sure. So it's not just white people running away with somebody else's culture. It's somebody else in those cultures even switching it because the ayahuasca way that we do now, it seems like in the West, where we're at now, this is the way it used to be. Yeah. It used to just be the, sh- the shaman or the healer and the person needing healing. The shaman would eat the medicine and can can tell by going through the vine of the soul, which is the ayahuasca plant, because it touches everything. Could find it was the farm. It was that it was the apothecarium. Sure, you know they could reach inside there and pull out different uh, medicines. You know that that this plant said, "Hey, use this plant," and then they would know what plant to give that person. So nowadays we're going through this. It's an uncharted way of doing ayahuasca ceremony. Yeah. In and, the last 20 years, this has became something new. And I think that you're, you're touching on a good point here. Um, a lot of young people, a lot of people my age, which I'm 30, but a lot of people can, you know, younger than me in their maybe teens, probably in their early to mid 20s are learning about ayahuasca and these various medicines and they're interested. Um, but we 
have limited to no access to these medicines in a traditional sense or in an honest sense. So a lot of these people are hearing these stories of profound healing and profound insight and wisdom that are uh, available through these experiences with plant medicine, but we have no access to to the true healers, you know, or some of us may, I'm, I'm blessed. I happen to have a, a career and a, um, an education that afforded me a career to where I can go down to Peru every so often and have these real um, traditional style experiences. But a lot of people can't access that, you know, and they're, and they desperately need right. this healing in this medicine. Well, that's, you know, that's what the native American church, the leader of the peyote ceremony is called a roadman. So even even like whatever whatever term, you know, I, I'm a, a cer- I am a ceremonial roadman as suspense. I do travel myself, you know, and I don't have all that legal paperwork. I work with the spirits, man. The spirits are like, this is where you need to go. You need to trust in the spirits. That's where the seed needs to be planted. That's where the healing needs to happen, you know. And you, and you need to follow you need to follow your gut, mm-hmm. you know, and. Um, what I'm trying to do down here is facilitate healing centers. I've had visions of having different healing centers around the world, and one of them is down here. Mm-hmm. And, I, and what, what I want to do is I want to create this grid, you know, over the planet with these healing centers to where we can bring in the right people to travel amongst our healing centers to do ceremonies. Where, whereas we're, we're, there's a way of, like, vetting out who's real, like allowing the spirits to bring the real people there where we're not going to have kind of work their way in our ceremonies because we're not set up for that. You know, yes. We're saying certain prayers to bring in certain people. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, that's, that's where the prophecy of the eagle and the condor come in to bring things to balance. Is our medicines, plant medicines are starting to work together. They're saying, hey, these pharmaceuticals that are being made with one of our alkaloids or two of our alkaloids are misleading. Sure. You know, they're giving you other symptoms. And when you mix that pharmaceutical with that pharmaceutical, you don't know what happens 10 years down the line. Yeah, you know, you know, you're you're getting a cocktail from that doctor who goes in the back room who who gets on iWeb.com to find out what medicine to give you. That's true. <laughs> so, I, I think they do that. I, they're I, they're I, in the back looking up online and they come back in because I would take my mom to the doctors just basically for blood work uh-huh. and to monitor her kidneys because I was gradually making her kidneys better. And the doctor, like, she wanted to argue with me about it's not possible, and I was like, oh no, it is it is possible to cure the because I said every every eight months our human body is re is recycling itself. Mm-hmm. Eight months from now you are not there's not one cell in your body that was the same. Every eight months. So if you can understand that with prayers and stuff, every eight months you can change yourself completely. Sure. So you know she just was looking at me like, oh, who is this guy whacked out on whatever? You know, I'm the I'm the doctor. You know, was, I, my mom would just kind of chuckle when she was because she my mom. She knows what we do. We go to the doctors just for the blood work, you know. Yeah. Uh, no pills from the from doctor. But uh, yeah, this. You still there? Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I just had a little glitch there. Oh. I'm with you. We still got you. Right on. Um, just to interject there, I work in emergency medicine and I can tell you from experience, I see doctors do that all the time. Get on the internet and Google what drug is best suited. And I'm like, wow, uh, he's literally, he's doing what I would do if I didn't know, you know? (laughs) And doing that, that, they allow the pharmaceutical companies 
to basically control Western medicine. Sure, yeah. Because they're saying, oh, we created that for this. That's a but big... you know what? You take A, B, and C, you don't know what it's making. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're making some kind of cocktail inside of you that's a couple bubbles off. Yeah, and you certainly don't know, you know? What, are, what are the long-term implications because these haven't been studied long enough. And, um, yeah. you know, you're just numbing. You're. I talked, I, was, I did another podcast earlier today with a vet uh, who is an advocate for veterans' natural rights. And we were talking about the pharmaceutical aspect of it and how so many of these drugs are simply numbing the symptoms and the medicines that we're discussing right now are the medicines that allow you to access the core of your issue at the point of origin and face it right and it's not these medicines almost never um obscure things or hide things from you they take you directly to the point where you need to be you know yeah, and they make you look right at it. Yeah, you know, it's like, hey, if you don't look at if you don't look at me for what I where I what I am and really do the work to heal me, you're going to be bent over crying if you can all day. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, um, but, I want to talk with you a little bit more about since we've discussed Agua Agua Florida in pretty good uh, depth. I'd like for you to discuss um, maybe some of the other important ritual tools that you utilize or that you've seen utilize, and what is the importance. Uh, since we're still in this vein, what is the importance of the ritual ceremony and tool aspect of these uh, experiences? Okay, well, let's let's take, for instance, um, the, the peyote ceremony. Um, when, it, when it first started coming through the Native American tribes um, in the late 1800s, um, it was, it, you know, it was, there was no border between Mexico and, and Texas, but, you know, like, that area... After 1800s and stuff that started to happen after the Civil War, uh, the medicine was able to move through uh, different tribes, and the teepee itself became a tool, mm-hmm. not only to weather, you know, you know, from, from elements, and plus to have a secure space to do the ceremony. As it develops, and as I look at it now in a mathematical equation, you know, if you look at it as a sacred geometry, mm-hmm. the teepee itself is a cone, right? And if, we're, if there's people sitting around the inside of the teepee, but basically we, we would say butt cheek to butt cheek, the center of the fire is there's a part in our energetic fields that intersect at the center of the fire, uh-huh. right? So you're basically creating um, the seed of life within within the energy fields of that circle, and then you're taking and doing a, a then you're doing a sacred ceremony with an intention and, and the hard work that went into it. So you have you have the firewood, which is bringing forth the, the essence of the fire and the sun. Mm-hmm. You have the half moon, which is the shape of uh, the altar, which is made out of sand. And, and you know, if we, you were as lucky as we were in Hawaii. We had different colored sand, black, green, red, and white. We could make altars that were different colors. Um, the, uh, the prayer smoke that we use now is a corn husk rolled tobacco and corn husk. And the reason we used that was because the missionaries and the sheriffs and the cavalry were scared to death of the, of the pipe. They knew there was some kind of magical essence in that pipe, so they didn't want the pipe anymore. So we went, we went back to prior to using the pipe and rolled the corn husks. Mm-hmm. You know, they, it's like, you know, the tools, hey, buddy, the, tool, the tools are the tools, but before there were tools, you know, you know we, didn't, we didn't have certain things. And then we got that pipe to show us the union of the male and female, but... That corn husk, you know, you're you're praising one element, 
and then you're putting uh, a prayer element into that, which the smoke is going to rise, and then you light that with the, with the fire picture. So also in the peyote ceremony, we have the rattle. The rattle represents the head, and the, the gourd itself represents the woman. The, the stick that fits into the gourd represents the male. Together, they're the bonding of the unit of the male and the female. The water drum, um, which in the 1800s was a number six or number seven cast iron kettle, and each family was given a, uh, a number six or a number seven cast iron kettle to cook their food in. Because, um, you know, when the first was on the reservation, you, you had a teepee and that was it. Or you built a little hut and that was it. Here's your thing to cook on your fire. Well, somehow that drum or that or that kettle with, that, with the, three, uh, the three legs on the bottom, they figured a way to take that, fill it half full of water, stretch a deer skin over it, tie it off with seven rocks, and then use those three legs at the bottom and use a rope, and then make, make the lid on, or the, the and you blow, uh, you, you blow air into it from the top of the leather into it to give it a different tone, but that becomes a water drum. Uh -huh. And the water drum, when it's beat with the, with the drumstick, takes us back to what we remember our mother's heartbeat in the womb. Okay. okay, interesting. So now you got the phonics. You got the phonics of a code with a fire in the middle of it, with forty-four people sitting around in a circle with their energy, and now this starts to happen. You know, so um, you start hearing that water drum, and then you start hearing the rattle. Because so the rattle is the head; it's keeping time. The water, the object is to get yourself out of the rattle, out of the head. It becomes an autonomous movement. You're shaking up the rattle. Then you go into the water drum, boom, 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 and then the song catches that. Mm -hmm. It is like a wave. The singer catches that song wave with that drum and that rattle, and it creates this this vibrational pattern that comes off of this this song. Mm -hmm. And we were told if you sing the songs right, you can see the patterns shoot across the coals of the fire. And then some of the Indian ladies are like, then if you eat enough of the medicine, you can sing the blankets. Like you can actually look at a blanket and know what it, what the, what it was telling you or what, what song it was. Mm -hmm. So I can so I started understanding the patterns with the songs. Sure. Um, so I, I make these rattles with gourds that I grew, um, collecting different things. Like I, I use cat whiskers for the tops of mine. Most people that are selling them and making them use horse hair or goat hair, but I make... My, my own personal ceremonial rattles, I use cat whiskers. Um, I make shakers uh, for uh, ayahuasca ceremonies. I make the shakers out of the tea plants that I have. Mm -hmm. um, and those are, those are used to create a static to kind of keep negativity away, too. And they can carry the, the Agua Florida and different things. Um, I have different, uh, I, don't, I don't burn uh, white sage in my ceremonies. Um, that's that's just used to cleanse without burning. And then we use uh, Palo Santo and cedar and copal um, to burn as, as clearing. And then, uh, you know, bringing, bringing positivity in cedars, like the high holy one that cedars off everything. Mm -hmm. uh, then the tobacco, I grow three different kinds of tobacco here. Uh, Aztec jasmine scented tobacco, the old school mupacho from South America, and Santa Domingo Pueblo ceremonial rain tobacco. Oh, wow. um, and uh, you know, the tobacco is used for prayer. It's used for prayer. It's used as like an antiseptic. Um, you cut yourself, or if you're cutting some plants outside, you leave a tobacco offering like that. So it's kind of like an antiseptic on a spiritual level with that too. So are um, you, you uh, circle protection? 
are you smoking the tobacco or are you using it like a rape type application or how do you use the tobacco? I'm just curious. Um, well, in, in the Native American church peyote ceremonies, we roll it in the, and make like little cigars out of it mm-hmm. and smoke it that way. Okay. Um, in ayahuasca ceremonies, I'll roll certain ones and I smoke at different times. If I do a healing work, I'll take the tobacco over and I'll actually blow the tobacco over you and like, just to make sure there's nothing connecting to you on certain levels, sure. you know, that you can bring back into this world. Because if you're sitting with somebody that doesn't know how to, you know, take precautions with those, um, that's what tobacco is really good at. Okay. It's stopping, stopping, clearing off negativity or any kind of attachment that you may have gotten in ceremony. And this is something I'm really putting out there too. You know, when you're sitting in these ceremonies with people that aren't understanding about the purge, a lot of people that's joining inside of a house. They take the purge and they just put it in the toilet and flush it down the toilet. Mm-hmm. Okay? The purge is still a purge, and if you just purge the entity, that entity just shot down your toilet and is on its way to somebody else. Yeah. Like you didn't trans you didn't transmute it. It's out of mind, out of sight because you just flushed it down the toilet. Mm-hmm. Okay. We learned in the peyote ceremonies that you dig a wellness hole. Sure. When somebody purges in a ceremony, they scrape it up with a shovel, they take it out, put it in the wellness hole, and then they bring in fresh dirt, put it in front of you. In Hawaii, we had sand, so it was like cleaning the litter box. It, it looked perfect. Yeah. Well, then in the morning, the fire, the ashes from the fire, go out to the wellness hole and get put on top of all of that wellness. And then the last prayer smoke is, is prayed with, put on top of that for that to transmute, for that sickness to just become fertilizer to go back into the cycle and not affect anybody else. Oh, that's, so that's how I was taught to take care of wellness. That's very not to just flush it down the toilet. That's very interesting. Um, in my in the peyote ceremony that I sat in, uh, the half moon ceremony, that's exactly what they did. Uh, a couple a couple of the people in ceremony uh, got well. That's how what they say. They don't say they got sick, obviously. Um, and so they came up. They scraped yeah. it up with the shovel. And I was unaware of what happened at the end, but it makes sense now because the roadman briefly alluded to it that he needed uh, a little bit more tobacco to go finish something off, which I was unaware of what he was doing. But I'm assuming that's probably what he was doing, was doing that final blessing over over the wellness uh, hole. But that's very interesting. Um, yeah, but- and the ceremonies that I, that I said it with other people that are leading the ceremonies, that's a teaching that a lot of people haven't received, mm-hmm. is how to take care of that wellness. Because it's coming out of people on many, on many different levels. Yeah, It's because you can see it as, as in this world, we call it puke, mm-hmm. and it's in a bucket. It still is something. Like I, I had one, one fellow that got well in one of my ceremonies. I was taking his wellness to the wellness hole, and it was heavy, and it was hissing at me. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, so it got some extra, it got some extra fire and cold. Right. I mean, I, like I never had somebody's wellness hiss at me. Yeah, that's that's bizarre. Um, not to beat a dead horse for my listeners because I've told this story several times, but I've seen the, uh, I've been in ceremony and seen uh, purgings that were that were not just vomit. Like I've seen black entities purged out of people during ceremony. Oh yeah. So I, I'm I. You know, and prior to that ceremony, I would have thought this, that's bullshit, you know, like that doesn't happen, but I saw it with my own eyes and I'm like, there's no other way to explain it, you know? So, yeah. no, I, and I did that for a couple of years down here. Um, 
we started, we, a friend of mine from California came out, and we had a chapter of the Oklahoma Native American Church called Dahatihi, which is a, a native word for hummingbird. <clears throat> I was, um, I, did all, I did the healing work, and he held space for the ceremony, and I did the healing work, and I took care of the wellness and stuff in the ceremony. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and that went on, that went on for a couple of years, you know, doing uh, two to three ceremonies a month and, you know, really, really trying to you know, have my own journey with the medicine, but at the same time helping. Yeah. And like I said, I came from a background of knowing mushrooms and knowing a ceremonial format with peyote, but I had never experienced ayahuasca. So my first couple of ayahuasca experience with my friend that comes from California you know, he had he had grown up in the peyote way with me. I, he, I actually invited him to do his first peyote ceremony when he was 18 to sit up with me, and I was actually praying for the medicine, and I was actually praying for my past to continue and thank him for how far it's gotten me to that point in Hawaii, like meeting the medicine. Uh-huh. And uh, so 18 years later, me and him reconnect, and he comes out here to lead the ceremony. Um, but what, I'm, what I see happening is a beautiful thing will happen. You know, you'll get together and ceremony will start happening. And I'm a firm believer that you have to have two wizards, sorcerer, sorcerer kind of mentality. And I'm not saying sorcerer with a negative intention, but somebody needs, that, use, that can work with the source. Shaman, whatever you want to call them, Kiranduar, Ayahuasca, all these different words. But when it comes down to it, it's a sorcerer working with the source. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a firm believer that you need to have two. It can be male and female, two males, two women, or what, but it, there should be two. Mm-hmm. And it, what that is is it keeps, you keep each other in check at a point where one can do a healing while one can keep the center of the ceremony. You can't have somebody that's keeping space in the ceremony, getting up and walking around doing healing work, mm-hmm. because then that space isn't being kept. Mm-hmm. So it's like you have a pilot, and, auto, and then you have a, a pilot's assistant or whatever. Sure. But it's like it's an interchangeable role. So... These ceremonies are doing good. A lot of healings are happening. But my buddy who who, who actually owns the chapter of the Oklahoma Native American Church, which I never could really understand how somebody could own it, but he owned it and he paid for it. So it was his and he bought it with cannabis money. But down here, I started um, from doing my, I, you know, I do classes at this place called Mystical Sense. And uh, I would, meet people in my classes and introduce them to our church. And since we, had, we thought we had a legal Native American, Oklahoma Native American church, that we, uh, you know, I would talk about it and that we'd get people coming to our ceremonies. And our chapter of our church grew to like 100 people. We're doing three or four ceremonies a month. And in the three or four ceremonies a month, I'm not, I'm not getting anything. My buddy is staying here. He wants to be the CEO, the medicine person, the spiritual leader, and he wants to be the treasurer. Mm-hmm. Like, well, you can't be all of these and have me and my partner, have her be the assistant or the, uh, the uh, vice uh, president and me the president, then you are everything else. Yeah. I said, we need, to have a, we need to have a treasurer. Well, that was our falling out. And then finally, it just disassimilated and the church fell apart and it it ended up, he ended up getting, actually got kicked out of the church because he was mixing medicine. He was a chapter of the Native American church. He was mixing um, ayahuasca, peyote, DMT, and everything. He would have people in ceremonies on multiple on multiple medicines. Uh-huh. And I wasn't, I started not to becoming, I wasn't comfortable with this. Yeah. I'm like, Matthew, I don't really know, I'm, I'm not coming, I'm not, I'm not feeling this. Yeah. Um, he would start using the DMT pen with people with peyote so they would have visions. And I'm like, this is not the kind of sorcery that I want to work. I go, you're giving them something for a payment. 
And I go, they, they aren't having a legitimate, you're pushing it with this man-made pig, uh-huh. you know? So, like I said, we had our own, I went, we went our own way, my mom started getting really sick, and I basically stepped away from ceremony for the last year, spending all my time taking care of my mom, getting her ready for her final, her final voyage. Uh-huh. My mom started sitting up with me doing peyote when she was 80. Um, she had done a couple of ceremonies, ayahuasca ceremonies, peyote ceremonies here in Florida with us. Um, she didn't always eat a lot of the medicine. She just tasted it usually, but she would still be in the circle. Sure. So I know on some level she was still getting, you know, the healing work. Uh-huh. Um, she ended up dying in September, uh, this last September, and here in the living room. And that, um, you know, I uh, it was tough on me because I was, she was with me, you know, with I was around her, you know, the last um, 17 years, uh-huh. take, help her take care of her, and this kind of, you know, just because she was prone to fall and hurt herself a lot. Uh-huh. Well, anyways, now I feel like I have a guardian angel. You know, the time that was spent last couple, three, four years, really taking care of her where I couldn't work outside the home. Now all of a sudden my writing's starting to happen. I'm getting more um, people interested in these podcasts. I had just had one got uh, Tracy, Tracy Johnson's show actually today. She just put me on her site today. She interviewed me last week. Um, this is my second one. Okay. You know, it's like I finally opened myself up to stepping out there, you know. <clears throat> I'm working on a book on my um, my journeys right now, as well as an ayahuasca cookbook. Um, it's called Ayahuasca Dieta in Preparation for Sacred Ceremony, just gearing, how to gear yourself up a week or two before ceremony. Um, I'm not a big one of like, oh, it's got to be this way or it's got to be that way, but it's like, hey, this works, try it. Sure. You know, if, if it doesn't. You can bend it your own way, but if you eat red meat on the day of the ceremony, you're going to feel it in the ceremony. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, if you don't eat, you know, I just try to, you know, gear people into taking their body into a more um, alkaline state uh-huh. and not so acidic. Because sure. if you're in an alkaline state, hey, big guy, if you're in an alkaline state, you can, uh, these medicines will work better. If you're in an acidic state, there usually has to be things coming out of your body so you're in a purge state. Sure. So I try to tell people, you know, if you do the work prior to the ceremony with with the diet and stuff, it's a little bit easier in the ceremony. Sure. That's all really good information, man. We're going to go ahead and uh, cl- start tying it up right here. I've got about five minutes, and then I have another thing I have to run and go do. Um, I'd, I'd love to talk to you further, and you know, we'll have you back on the show again, your schedule permitting. We'll lo- we'd love to talk about your book and whatever else that you're working on. So right here at the end, uh, I'd like to give all my guests opportunities to promote their um, projects or whatever the, it is that they're working on. So we're going to link your... Uh, we're going to link the social media to uh, Sushi Pilly's Apothecarium and Botanica. Um, sushi Pilly is a very strange word, so I'm going to spell it now for listeners so they can eat more easily find it. Um, it's X-O-C-H-I-P-I-L-L-I, uh, Sushi Pilly's Apothecarium and Botanica. And like I said, I'm going to link all that in the show notes. And I'm going to promote this via social media and tag all that stuff so that that's... Uh, accessible to anyone who comes across the show um so uh give us a brief rundown of the products offered there obviously your homemade agua florida that we discussed earlier and then tell us about anything else that you're working on Uh, you mentioned some sort of classes that you give just tell us briefly about your projects okay well right now i'm making um i'm doing a a ceremonial artesian i make um rattles, um, leaf shakers, 
different things, um, uh, tethes, karepes for, for hape use, different ceremonial necklaces, um, ceremonial bracelets for protection. I do make a, uh, a aura spray that for use in, use in Reiki classes that you can actually use this spray instead of burning sage and all these different things. Um, you know, I make ceremonial art. I do paintings also, you know, um, different kinds of ceremonial art. Um, and our store is basically selling our oils, selling our artwork, selling different things that we make. We're still up and running. I'm still trying to get the Etsy store together. I've been really busy actually selling Florida water just through Facebook. Oh, <laughs> you know, great, it's, just, great. it's crazy how it happens, but word of mouth gets around. Yeah. Um, and the projects that we got going is I'm opening myself up now for travel for ceremony. Uh -huh. um, and you can, you know, connect with me on that level. Um, like I said, I do travel. Um, you know, it makes it easier sometimes. I try to work with smaller groups. I'm not like that 20, 30, 40 person group thing, you know, $20 or $200, $300 a person. I try to stay more intimate and, you know, because it's what it comes down to it is the healing work. If you're doing the healing work, the spirits provide. Yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not doing the healing work itself to make the money. I know that the book and the other books and, and screenplays I'm working on, I know they'll make the money. Mm -hmm. So the healing work will happen. Yeah, and I'm, sure. I'm, I'm using money from that kind of thing to help make this happen. Sure. Um, we'll be in Ohio in uh, in June. Then do a to do a peyote ceremony up there for my uh, my mother's memorial. We're having her <clears throat> ceremony for her. We're going to bury her ashes with the cedar tree. Oh, wow, that's beautiful. On my nephew's property. So that'll be happening. Um, but down here, you know, in Florida, um, you know, I travel around doing different ceremonies with other people and stuff, and I'm just starting to open myself up, you know, to get out there and actually travel the country and, you know, even the world, you sure. know, and, and to spread our, spread our healing work and, you know, spread our lights. Well, you definitely have a very unique story um, and one that I think is uh... – I mean, if nothing else, it's fascinating, interesting, and enjoyable uh, to listen to. Hush, my dog is uh, crying right now. Sorry, <laughs> I'm about to take you out, buddy. Um, so um, I think you have one of those kind of stories that would really be a, a draw to people, just because it's so damn interesting, you know. And uh, yeah. Um, so that's great, man. I really appreciate you coming on the show to talk to me. I would, I will hope and look forward to. One day running into you, maybe in ceremony or maybe, you know, just in person anywhere. That'd be great to, to actually get to spend some time with you. And um, if you ever come out to Texas, I'll try to meet you halfway somewhere. So bring bring your uh, bring your ceremony to Texas or I'll come over there to Florida. That's not that bad. I just drove to uh, Miami and back like uh, like about a month ago. So, yeah, I was on going on vacation. We took a cruise out of Miami. Um, but anyways, yeah, I like to I like to take cruises myself. Yeah, yeah, they're, <laughs> they're fun. Um, so, uh, Inawa Khan, thank you so much for uh, appearing on Psychedelicast. Like I said, we're going to link all your stuff and promote it. This show won't air for a couple weeks, but uh, I'll keep you posted and get get a okay. get you a, a version of it when it's ready after I do some editing. Uh, Aho, brother, rest in peace to your to your mother. That That's a beautiful thing that y'all are doing for her, and I'm really sorry to hear that. But... Uh, Seems like she had a good full journey. journey. Yeah. Seems yeah. like she had a good full journey. It's, it's my second time being a deaf doula. Yeah, right. <laughs> you um, know, it's, it's what I feel. It's what a lot of people need to do. Pay attention to the elders like that, you know? Sure. It's very important. Absolutely. Not, not to lose that. But hey, thank you a lot for having me on here. Absolutely. Thank you, Anawa Khan. I will speak to you again soon. And uh, until then, aho, brother. Be good.
Bye bye. All right, guys. Well, I hope that you enjoyed listening to today's episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. What a fascinating individual Inawa Khan is. What a fascinating uh, story and chat that we had. We'll be looking forward to having him back on the show at some point. Once again, I do apologize for the audio quality. We want to offer you the utmost highest quality product possible, but we're working with technology here. We're doing remote shows sometimes uh, despite our best efforts. It doesn't come out perfectly, but the heart and soul of the uh, discussion and episode was there, and I hope that you guys felt that. I'm sure that you did. And Nawa, thank you so much. Beyond that, Psychedelicasters, um, we implore you to share the show with those around you, those you care about, those in the culture that may not be aware of the show's existence yet. We're gaining some traction on various social media websites. We want to keep that ball rolling, and we want to make great content for great listeners that's what we're here to do. So if you guys could help us spread the love, it would be much appreciated. In these trying times, as we stock up on water, food, and toilet paper, let us not forget to stock up on some compassion for each other, guys. With that being said, we're going to leave you with a short and sweet quote from Dr. Ian Malcolm of Jurassic Park fame. Life breaks free. Life expands to new territories. Painfully, perhaps even dangerously, but life finds a way. It's been my honor and privilege to speak with you today, Psychedelicasters. Thank you once again for joining us in prying open the third eye. Stay safe. Take care. We love you.